We're starting a new series this week. Uh, it's based loosely on uh, the book, The Blessed Life, and it's all about money. We're talking about money. And right from the outset, I want to dispel a myth that the church just wants your money. I want to dispel that myth because it's not true. The church does not just want your money. The church wants all of you. <laughs> the church wants your life. It's true. Jesus doesn't want just your cash. He wants your heart. He wants your soul. He wants all of you. See, McDonald's, your local service station, the bank, they want your money. That's all they want. That's all they're interested in is your money. God wants far more than your money. He wants your very life. So I just want to dispel that myth from the outset. Because that's what the world will tell you. The world will say, you know, oh, the church, they just want your money. They, they're just interested in your money. And uh, it, there's a reason for that. It's because the world doesn't understand how the church works. And so the world will, will narrow down the church into a, a concept, a, a framework that it can understand. And I tell you what, the world understands money because that's what the world runs on, right? The world understands money. And so, so that, that they think that it, it, can ro it wrongly kind of assumes that that's how the church must work as well, right? I mean, that's how everything works really is, is around money. But we know better. We know that the church is not a business, the church is a community. The church is a family. The church is a hospital. The church is an army. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is so many things. But it's not a business. Having said that, I'll be upfront with you. The church needs money. To do what the church does costs money. To hire this lovely venue costs money. To do what we do in the community costs money. To support the churches in Manila and around the world that we do costs money. To, so that my family don't starve, it costs money. So I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, Equipus Timaru doesn't need money. Yes, it does. It needs money to do what it's called to do. But that is not, I say hand on heart, that is not the reason why we preach about money. The main reason that we speak on it is because I know that money can have a hold on people's lives. That more than pretty much anything else in this world, money can control us like no other. And that we need to address it. We need to talk about it. Because if we get it right, we, we get a whole lot of freedom. We get a whole lot of freedom in our world. And I, I, my prayer is that over this series, you get genuine freedom in your finances. That something shifts in your heart and that you come to find, you know what? Money's no longer controlling me. It's a servant to me. It's something that I have mastery over. Because it really does define so many things in our lives. It determines how you live. It determines where you live. It determines what you eat, where you go, what you do, when you retire, how you retire. There are so many things that money dictates in our lives. So we're going to talk about money. 
And I make no apologies about it. For the very reason that if we get it right, it, or actually if we get it right or we get it wrong, it will change your life. The way you view money will dictate how you live your life. But there's a few other reasons, a couple of other reasons why we're going to talk about it. And that, and that is that Jesus talked about it. 30% of Jesus' parables were on money. And if you include possessions in that, that percentage goes up. 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus told were about money or possessions. So Jesus talked a lot about it because he knew that it would have a big influence in people's hearts and people's lives. So because Jesus didn't shy away from it, we're not going to either. Is that good? Yep, some of you are with me. Some of you are still like, oh, it's getting awkward. Yeah, it's getting awkward already. It is. Money is a hard topic to address. Uh, it's harder for me. I'm talking about it. Because how many of you know that the preacher has to get it right as well? You can't just talk about it and then, you know, live another life. I'm going to be held accountable to what I do with my money. And when I'm telling you to do stuff, then I have to be doing that as well. The other reason, though, that um, we're talking about money is Pastor Bruce Monk, who started Equipper's um, uh, movement a, a while ago. He came and um, shared with us end of last year. And in a leadership session he had with our team, uh, he, he prophesied over us. And when, the, when the, you know, the founder of your movement, the ex-leader of the movement, has a prophetic word for you, it's, it's good to listen. And he, he said that we're going to have a spirit of generosity in this church. And that is cool. I was like, yeah, I received that. That's good. Spirit of generosity. But um, how many of you know with the prophetic word, you can't just kind of sit back and wait for it to happen. You actually have to action it. You have to actually uh, move into that. And, uh, and so a part of that, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to address our finances. So wherever you're at in your financial journey, maybe you're just starting out. Maybe you're saving for a house. Or, or maybe you've, you've, you're feeling quite financially comfortable. Or maybe you're setting yourself up for retirement. I don't know where you're at. But wherever you're at, there is more we can learn in God, right? And there's more that we can learn in our finances. So I just want you to come to this with an open heart. Come to it with an open spirit. Just like we were in that space saying, God, I want more. Well, Father, I want more of your wisdom around my finances. I want more of you in this. I don't know it all yet. I'm sorry, you don't. If you think you do, you're fooling only yourself. So just a show of hands, who would like more money? Well, the rest of you are lying. But uh, it's not a trick question. I know the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. So I'm not trying to develop in us a desire for more money. This is not Dave's get-rich-quick scheme. I don't have one of them. Uh, well, the Bible doesn't have any. Um, but if you, if you apply these principles we're talking about over the next four weeks, then over time, I fully believe your financial situation will improve. And you will bless many others along the way. But more important than both of these, your heart attitude will change. Because at the end of the day, it all comes down to our heart. We, we forget that money is just actually an expression of, our, of where our heart is at. So... I'll give you a money-back guarantee that, that, that your hard attitude will change if you apply some of these things. So my, my first point, I guess, and my major point today is that we need to get first things first. In our finances, we need to get first things first. 
It says in Matthew that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. I think we should have some uh, slides here as well. If you're a Christian here today, God comes first, which is why it's important that we that we address money, because more than anything else, I think money can kind of sneak in and take precedence over God and our lives. Just like I said, 16 of Jesus' 38 parables were about money because he knew that money, more than anything else, can, can dominate people's hearts. So to truly put God first in our finances, we need, we need to get things in the right place. And this begins way back in the Old Testament with this idea of the firstborn. Turn to your neighbor and say, firstborn. Any firstborns here? I'm a firstborn. Good, you're yeah, good-looking people. Uh, firstborn. Exodus 13, this is what it says about the firstborn. Exodus 13, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, yeah, there he did, uh, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Us firstborns were set aside for God. Yeah, come on. Oh, you run out some, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But tell you what, it, it, doesn't, it actually doesn't get that good later on because there's some sacrifice. Um, but 16 times in the Old Testament, God tells the Israelites to consecrate, to set aside the firstborn. Okay? Uh, in Exodus 13, just uh, verse 12 and 13, it says, You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So it's important to understand this idea of the firstborn is that a firstborn either had to be sacrificed or redeemed. Those were the two options. Sacrifice or redeem. Kind of like when you go to the service station and they say, uh, do you want to accumulate or redeem? Uh, it's like, do you want to sacrifice or redeem uh, your, your firstborn? And, and so every, every time uh, uh, some livestock had their firstborn, you had to either sacrifice it to God, or if it was an unclean animal like a donkey, then you would redeem it with another clean animal like a lamb. And this gives such weight and power to, to the story that, of Jesus' arrival on the scene when um, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John kind of perfectly summarizes what Jesus was all about because Jesus was God's firstborn. He, he was the clean perfect firstborn. And we, on the other hand, are unclean. And so the clean firstborn is sacrificed to redeem everyone else. That's cool, way. Eh? Way back then, there, there, there was, there's, a, there's a forerunning of Jesus in this whole idea of the firstborn. The clean firstborn Jesus is sacrificed to redeem us, the unclean. So Jesus bought us. He was like the first fruit. He was in a way, he was a picture of the tithe. He was the first offering to God. And God, God gave him before we even believed. Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you're probably thinking, yeah, that's a cool story, bro. But where does, where does the firstborn idea fit with with our money, giving our tithe. 
Well, you've got to understand that in an, an agrarian culture like it was back then in the early Middle East, livestock equals money. If you had animals, you had wealth. It was your, your, your wealth was measured in animals. So just like today, if you have property, your shares or cash, that's how you measure your wealth. No one, you know, no one says, oh, well, I've got um, 30 head of cattle and 800 sheep, and that's my wealth, unless you're a farmer. Um, but when they gave the, the firstborn of every animal, it was giving the first of their assets, the first of their wealth to God. The other term that is used in the Old Testament is first fruit. So you've got firstborn or first fruit. And you guys, you're smart enough to work out that first fruit is the first of your, your fruit. Yeah, well done. That wasn't a trick question. The first of your produce, the first of, your, uh, of, the, of the land. Exodus 23, 19 says, Bring the best of the first fruits of, of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. So in much the same way as in the Old Testament, they bought the first of their stock, the first of their harvest, we bring the first of our income, the first of what we are given. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not paid in lambs or in fruit. I'm paid by the DHB electronically. <laughs> um, but this firstborn principle, it, it's powerful. If you think of um, the story of the Israelites coming out of, of Egypt, there's a whole lot of uh, plagues, and the last one is the most devastating. It's the plague of the, the firstborn. And you think, how is it that God can, can take all the firstborn uh, people and, and animals? Well, it's actually because they were already His. You see, by right, every firstborn is God's. There's a principle there. And so he was actually just kind of taking what was his by right. And the, the Israelites got out of that because of the, the whole lamb that was spread on the doorpost and, uh, and, and the, the angel of death passed over them. That's where we get the Passover. But you see, the first always belongs to God, whether we acknowledge it or not. The Egyptians didn't acknowledge it to their detriment, but the firstborn always belongs to God. The first, the best, belongs to Him. Any first thing given is never lost. And any first thing not given is always lost. Any first thing given is never lost. Any first thing not given is always lost. You see, what we give to God, we never lose. We never lose. He always redeems it. That's actually the principle Jesus says to live our lives. In Matthew 16, 25 this is how Jesus puts it. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. You try and keep it. You try and save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, we give ourselves to God and He redeems us and we gain everything. When we withhold our lives from Him, we don't get that redemption and we don't gain. In fact, we lose. At the end, we lose everything. So this idea of tithing goes all the way back to the Old Testament, this idea of firstborn or first fruits. Tithing is simply giving our first to God. And God says, if you give your first to me, I'll redeem the rest. And it's important to realize here that it's the first 10% or the first tithe just means 10. It's the firstborn animal. 
if you're a farmer and uh, you've got a sheep and it's pregnant and it has a lamb, you don't know how many more lambs that sheep will have. So you give him your first. You don't, you know, have that sheep and it has like seven or eight. And then you're like, oh, sweet. Okay, now I'll give God. And you go, well, I'm still giving him the same percentage. I know it's, it's the heart. It's the first. You give him your first. You give him your best. Because there's a risk in that. There's faith in that. Because you don't know that sheep might get stuck in a fence or fall down a cliff. And, and you might not get any more sh- lambs out of it. So you're trusting God. You say, no, the first I'm giving to you, God. And then he blesses the rest. But what we like to do is we're like, oh, I want to hedge my bets here a bit. I'll save up enough until I'm safe. I'll get enough sheep. And then I'll give to God. I'll just tip him the extra that I have. Is it really an act of faith to give your 10% after You've sorted out all your other bills. You know, what does it say about our priorities when we pay everybody else, the government, the bank, the supermarket, the petrol station, the landlord, we give them all their dues first and then we give God what we can over and above. That is not putting God first in your life. That's putting God last. Wow. Wow. You've gone really silent, church. Because <laughs> yeah, it hurts, because it's, it's convicting. Yeah. Because money more than anything represents our lives. If you th- think about this equation, you work, you give time for your money. Time in, in many ways equals our money. What is your greatest asset? Your, the greatest thing that you have that you can't get any more of is time. You give your time to earn money. So essentially, you give your life to earn money. And what do you do with that money? Well, if you put it to everything else, then you're saying, well, all those other things are more important. When we give our money, we're saying, no, actually, our time, our very lives, we're giving to God. And I think, unfortunately, like many Christians give, but they, get, they, they kind of get it around the wrong way. And they struggle with this whole first step. Because actually tithing is far more an issue of our heart than it is of our wallet. It's actually far more like, okay, where's my heart at? I will trust God ahead of my bank account balance, ahead of my job, ahead of what my finances say I can do. I will trust God above those things. And the, the, the beauty is that when we give the first, the rest is redeemed. Just like Jesus redeems us, just like that first born uh, lamb, it, it sets aside the rest. for It redeems everything else. In the same way we go, you know, we might think that we go to church at the end of the week. We actually go to church at the start of the week. We give God the best of our time on our Sunday, and He redeems the rest of our time and the rest of the week. It's all about putting first God in our lives. So where should the first fruit be given? You know, should we be just you know, putting some $20 notes here and lighting them and, and letting a sweet fragrance being lifted towards God. Yes. <laughs> you can do that with your money, but I'm not doing that with mine. <laughs> Exodus 23, 19 says, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. 
and actually the most famous passage about tithing in Malachi 3 addresses this as well. It says uh, in verse 8, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And he goes on. We'll get to that. But the storehouse, the house, is where you are fed from. And I hope that when you come here, you are fed. You are fed spiritually. You meet with God. This is the storehouse. This is the place we are fed from. And this is where we are to bring our tithe. Not to overseas mission, not to sponsor a child, not to support something in your community. Those are all good things. And I encourage you to give to them. Mayor and I do as well. But your first, that first hand goes to the storehouse, goes to the house of God. And, and often that, that storehouse is, distributes it to those things. We, we sponsor a child as a church. We give to overseas mission. We do things in our community. So often it ends up there anyway, but we bring it into the space first. So first things first, we give to God by giving into his house. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, this sounds an awful like, lot, lot, like a law, Dave. Uh, and you're just kind of reverting to Old Testament law. I'm under grace. I don't, I'm not under that law anymore. Jesus made a new way for me, and, I, and I, don't have, I don't have to do this. Let's address that idea for a sec. So my first point is, first things first. Secondly, that the tithe is life, not law. The tithe is life, not law. I, I don't tithe because of some laws in the Old Testament. I tithe partly because it's there in the Bible, but also be, mainly because it is life to me and my family. It's life to Maya and I and our kids. We are blessed financially. We really are. But beyond that, we're blessed in our relationships, in our health, in many other ways. And I'm not putting that all down to tithing, but I am putting that down to putting God first in my life. And when I put God first in my life, I have to put Him first in every part of my life. That includes in my money. So, so there's so many blessings that I believe come our way when we put Him first. We've talked about how the, the first portion is the portion that redeems the rest, that blesses the rest. Now let's read some more of, of Malachi because it's, it's powerful. Bring the whole tithe, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So God says, test me in this and see what I do. See if I don't pour out blessing on your life. And even, I actually think even better than that, than that he says, he will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Another version says, God will rebuke the devourer. Rebuke the devourer. The, the enemy is the devourer. He's the one who's trying to rob, steal, and destroy the good stuff in your life, right? God says, no, if you put me first, I will rebuke the devourer. I will prevent him from touching what is yours. So I, I claim that over my family. 
that, that sickness will not come against him, that, that the lies of the enemy will not come in and rob and steal and destroy the good things that God has planned in my life. God promises he'll rebuke the devourer if we put him first. And then it says, all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. I don't know about you, but I, I, we live in a delightful land. We take it for granted, but in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we live in a delightful land. And I don't know about you, but I feel I am blessed. Blessed to live here, but just blessed by God in so many ways. If we just look at that, that common excuse that, that people give for, for not tithing, it's that they're under, well, we're under grace. We're not under law. That is true. We are all under grace. And this isn't a salvation issue, by the way. You can walk out of here and not tithe, and you, you, you're still saved. It's more a discipleship issue. Because if we claim to have Jesus as first in our life, then we will be giving him, as I said, our very best. But it's true. We're under grace, not under law. But then if you look at that passage in Malachi, God says in verse 6, uh, I haven't got it up here. He says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. So actually, this idea of the firstborn, it's not even a law. It's just a principle. It doesn't change. The idea of first fruits is a principle that hasn't changed in the Bible. I would love if someone could show me where exactly it says in Scripture that it says, when Jesus came along, the principle of giving your best, giving your first fruit, giving your firstborn to God has been done away with. It's been superseded because it's not there. And even if it was a law, which it's not, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We look at, look at it this way. If you said, oh, you know, the Old Testament law says that we shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm under grace. So adultery is fine. You would be like, what? That's not how it works, buddy. Or, or, or if you said, oh, well, you know, stealing was prohibited uh, under Old Testament law, but I'm under grace. So a little bit of stealing's fine. You, you, you wouldn't go with that, would you? So why is it that when we come to the tithing, this idea of giving our first fruits, our, our best to God, we're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Remember, Jesus says, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And then he said, if you go on in that passage, it's pretty cool. He says in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus goes on, and he actually gives examples of how grace is higher than the law. The law says don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even look lustfully at a woman. That's a higher standard than that. The law says don't murder. Jesus says don't say anything nasty. Don't think evil thoughts towards someone. That's higher than that. So I just smile when people say, oh, I'm under grace and not under law. Because I'm like, oh, okay. Well, in that case, you'll be giving far more than 10%, won't you? You'll be going above and beyond what the law says. You must be giving 50% of what you earn to God good on you. And they like, what? 
But that's, that's what Jesus said. He, he said, you know, grace, and, and see, we don't do it under law. And I can, I can honestly say for Mayor and I, for years we've given far more than 10%. We, we give closer to 30% of what we earn. And I don't say that to brag. I say, that, say we're not under the law anymore. What was the law is like, it's not the ceiling, it's the floor to our giving. That's just the starting point. And then above and beyond that, we give out of grace. We give out of the blessings that God has poured into our lives. I guess I would say, though, you've got to start somewhere. As a, as a student, you think, you know, students don't know much. I didn't know much. I had a, you know, I had a bit of a loan, in fact. But I figured I've, I've got to start now. You've got to start where you're at. You might think, oh, I'll, I'll start giving when I've got enough. Well, you'll never have enough. And you'll never start. You've got to start where you're at. Start giving to God. Can I invite the keys up? Because when we when we get when it comes to giving, as in everything in life, our starting point needs to be getting our, giving our first, giving our best to God because that's what He deserves. That is that is my heart as a pastor, but that should be our hearts as a Christian: is that we give our very best to God. And people also argue, they say, well, well, Jesus didn't really talk about tithing. Well, Jesus isn't silent on tithing. In Matthew 23, verse 23, it says, he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. I'm not out in my garden plucking my, 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 uh, my herbs and spices and giving 10%. To God. They're getting right down there. But Jesus says, But you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, for Jesus, it was a given. It was already there, it was present, it was well known in their culture that they gave their first, their best to God. Jesus is having a God at the Pharisees because they. They neglected the far more important things of showing love and justice and mercy to people. But they were sticklers for getting the right amount of their herbs and spices to the the house. Jesus doesn't overtly talk about tithing because it's, it's it's already given. It's an ingrained principle. What, what, what most Christians fail to realize, though, is that actually tithing is a test. Tithing is a test in our lives. It's a test of our heart. Remember that passage in Malachi? It says, God says, test me in this. You know, that's the only passage in the Bible where God says to the people, test me. Only, the only place, the only area of our lives God says, test me in, is in our tithing, in our giving. And the, and the word tithe or tenth, actually, it just means, yeah, as I said, it means tenth. And ten, a ten is the number of testing. In the Bible, numbers often mean things. The number of ten in the Bible represents testing. There's ten plagues in Egypt. There's ten commandments that test our obedience. There's ten times Israel was tested in the wilderness. There's ten days Daniel's tested in, in 
first Daniel. In the New Testament, there's 10 virgins who are tested for their readiness. There's 10 days of testing in Revelation. And of course, Jesus had 10 disciples. Did Jesus have 10 disciples? No. He had 12, right? I'm just testing. (laughs) You guys are just sitting here taking it though. (laughs) But you see, 10 in the Bible is a test. All those other ones are true. Just, just there's 12 disciples. But God says we're to test him in this. Test him in this. So today, uh, yeah, this has been a hard-hitting message. This has been a challenging message, but I want to take it a step further. And I want to, I want actually, I I'm not putting you to the test. You're putting God to the test. And I want, I want to encourage you, if you don't already tithe, and if, if you're a visitor here today and, and, and this isn't your home church, then that's cool. I encourage you, go back to your wherever that is and tithe there. Give in that space. You can still put God to the test. Just do it in that house, in that space. But here's, a, here's an amazing truth that I've observed over the years with this, with this principle. Every tither I've talked to gives me a similar testimony. They say, God has blessed them. And every non-tither has given me a similar testimony as well. They've said, I can't afford to tithe. Both of those testimonies are true. Both those groups of people are telling the truth. <laughs> that that the, the tithers are saying, yeah, I'm blessed by God. And the non-tithers are saying, I, I can't afford to tithe. And they're both right. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, I can't afford to tithe, can I say, you can't afford not to. If you want to live a blessed life, if you want to live a life that, that you're free from worrying about your finances, you're free from being pushed around, then you need to put God first in your giving. So what we're going to do, I, I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to um, you know, make a point of this. But what, what I want to do is as you leave today, up the back, Jerry will be standing up the back with uh, some information on how you can give. So we don't actually pass a bucket around um, in the service. We recognize that most people give it online. It's just far easier. So we've got some information about how you can do that. And you can just grab one of those. You're not signing up to anything by grabbing it. You're just getting the information. And then I'd encourage you, pray about it. And, and, and be moved by the conviction of the Holy Spirit in this place because I believe that He's convicting people. See, I can talk till I'm blue in the face about why you should tithe, but at the end of the day, it's a matter of the heart for you. It's a matter of the heart for you and that's between you and God. And, and my prayer is that you will start tithing because I know that it will free you. It will bring blessing in your life and it will, it will bring blessing in your, not just financially, but in your spiritual life. Because you'll be putting God first. And when we do that, everything else falls into place. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. Everything else in our world comes into alignment when we put God first. So why don't you stand to your feet in this place? And I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you that you gave your best, your first for us in your son, Jesus. 
And Lord, we want to be your disciples. We want to give our best for you. So I pray that if for all the tithers here this morning, I, I pray your blessing on them, God. I pray that, that you will rebuke the devourer in their lives, that you will open the floodgates of heaven over their lives, and they will not be able to contain the blessing that you have for them. And I pray for every person here who's not yet tithing, that you would start them on that journey. You would give them the courage and the faith to take that step of faith, that step of trust in you. And as they do that, may you meet them, God. Lord, I pray they'll have the courage to put you to the test and you will not be found wanting. And God, you will open up heaven over their lives, financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in every area. You will pour out your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, there's one more group of people that I want to speak to. That's If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus that we talk about, that we worship. You know, I said at the start, the church doesn't just want your money, it wants your life. Well, that's true, except it's not the church that wants your life, it's, it's God. He wants relationship with you more than anything else. He wants to know you and He wants you to know Him. And so just with every eye closed and head bowed in this place, all you need to do to, to come into relationship with Him is to open your heart and invite Him in. He will never force Himself on you, but He needs an open door from you. And my prayer this morning is that you will open your heart to Him. You will receive Him. And I know, I know that because you're surrounded by people who have done this, that new life, new hope, new joy, new peace, new love will flood your heart as you welcome Him in. Is there anybody here this morning you want to open your heart and give your life to Jesus in this place? Just raise your hand. I'll see it, and you can put it down. Anybody here this morning?